Hey everybody, this is Ashley with the Dyslexia Initiative and this is our session, What is Fate? with Holly Terrell. She is a special education attorney here in the state of Texas. And she, we had a session with you two weeks ago and now we are following up today about fate. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for asking me, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as a special education attorney and I know as, a, as an advocate, fate is a question that gets brought up a lot which is why you and I kind of started talking about, you know, could we, could we have a session just kind of talking about what FAPE is? Because I think that there's, FAPE is one of those turn, terms that is thrown out a lot, but the definition of FAPE seems to be, at least in my opinion, a very subjective definition. So, huh, I wanna paint this little bitty box, I'm gonna label it FAPE when FAPE might actually be this thing over here. So, um, We've got some questions for you regarding fate, but I didn't know if you had anything that you kind of wanted to start off with talking about faith in general. Um, well, and, sorry, not to interrupt you real quick. Free appropriate public education. I'm really bad about that. Using the acronyms, not saying what it means. <laughs> there are a lot of acronyms. I usually give my parents such a document, like one page with all of the acronyms to take to ARDS with them just because it's it was difficult for me. Um, so FAPE, uh, yes, I agree. It, it tends to be subjective and vary from state to state, from hearing officer to hearing officer, from school to school. And which, you know, makes it hard for parents to know when they're actually getting it and when they aren't. And it is hard. I mean, that's, that it is. Um, so I generally, um, think it's, for me, it's a little more helpful if I can define FAPE instead of what is FAPE, if I can define it, um, in terms of what it isn't. And um, I know we're going to talk about injury more in detail later, so I don't want to yeah. get you know too much into injury. But it's hard to talk about this topic without at least mentioning injury and you know the up, uh, updated uh, standard for providing fate, which focused more on progress and um, you know what you know they they came away from that. Um, little more than the minimal amount of progress is okay, like meniscus or whatever they say, and or de minimis, um, and uh, went to just uh, the meaningful progress in light of the child's circumstances, which, guess what, is very vague. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's tough because with our other kids, we, we don't have this thing where we're wondering whether the school's providing FAPE or not. So it's not you know, we can't have a standard for kids in special education as compared to that of, of the kids in regular ed um, because they don't really have a standard. <laughs> they don't have any rights. So, mm -hmm. so yes, I do. I agree. It, it is very, very subjective and um, tough to prove as well. So let's start off with one of the questions that we got. I'm going to, the last one that I read to you before we went live because I thought it was a really great question. <laughs> A hard one? <laughs> yes. How is it determined whether the student is receiving instruction that provides educational benefit under FAPE? Is it up to the schools to decide what is appropriate instruction based on the disability? And that is from Jennifer. Um, to a certain degree, yes. And, you know, I've gone back and forth with schools on instructional methodology. So that's a 
topic within itself because you know especially with dyslexia we, we have you know, huge disagreements regarding instructional methodology and, and just reading in general is the one that, that pulls most of those arguments um it, it is very difficult to tell a school um to use a different instructional methodology um and i have not had any with naming a specific instructional methodology um however um it, uh, it, it's a different question as to whether, you know, you can show that your child needs uh, the instructional methodology to have certain elements. And, you know, you get into whether it does or whether it does not. There's that backlash issue later. But um, so the way I uh, recommend doing that, if there's a disagreement and you have a somewhat recent uh, FIE, which is the full individual evaluation, so the evaluation by the school, is to uh, ask for an independent uh, educational evaluation and the school should pay for that. Um, most of the cases are going to pay for that and there are some parameters um, in place, but that way you can go and get an, uh, an outside a person to do it who isn't working for the school and the school doesn't have to take everything they say and do it but it will give you more information on what that instructional methodology needs to contain okay is that helpful i think so um we we got some we got some really good questions for you so no. <laughs> um, <laughs> The questions are from the followers that we have on the dyslexia initiative. So I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about some of these questions. How do you negotiate with a school that says they're providing FAPE, though they are not? Well, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about originally about that objective standard and how to look at FAPE and what is FAPE and what isn't. And, you know, again, in Andrew, the, the Supreme Court focused on progress and you know what kind of progress is being made and so and to figure that out where you go is you look at the progress reports so um i've seen really bad progress reports i've seen really good progress reports well written and um they should be uh, somewhat specific to where you mm -hmm. can figure out you know where your child is because you need that information to make do your plaf statement later um to a separate sort of separate issue um but that that's going to be the telltale sign like what do the progress reports look like you know he's got these goals um you're supposed to have been um in collaborate or you're not supposed to the the art committee is supposed to collaboratively um, come up with these goals. Usually they send them to you beforehand, or if they don't, you can ask if that's helpful, and uh, to make sure that you think they're appropriate. And then where is he? And it needs to be, you know, the goals should be objective and measurable. So, right. you know, I, I saw a goal one time, I won't say where it came from, that was uh, the student, <laughs> the student uh, should uh, be, like listen to a story or something, and it, and it was you know longer than that. But but the action word that's what we have to pay attention to the most. The action word is important. Listen. How am I going to measure listening? I can't measure listening. I'm not in their brain. So that action 
word to show that the student has made the progress needs to be um, very specific and that, that, that if you don't focus on anything else, focus on that action word and then focus on um, the criteria for, for mastering, like how they're going to um, measure, you know, one attempt, two attempts, three attempts, right. things like that. And so anyway, back to what you were saying, uh, you have to look at the progress reports if they're not um, doing it to where you can figure out what the progress is, then you need to have a conversation about those and that needs to be straightened out because you should be able to tell what your child's progress is. So I'm based on people that I know that this has actually happened to, based on what you just said, I'm going to ask, I'm just going to go for it and ask the question. <laughs> what about when the progress reports are falsified? Falsified? Well, um, that's bad. Um, <laughs> I, and I, and I would, um, I would ask a follow-up, um, to how do we know they're falsified? And that would make it easier for me to ask the question just because I, I would kind of know the, the background a little bit more. Is there parent observation of their child did not match what the school was stating. Mm -hmm. The child was achieving against the goals to the point of mastery. Um, so this was a child that was significantly struggling, but all of a sudden, according to all the goals, was just phenomenally, yes. you know, skyrocketing when that just wasn't the case. If it were me and that was happening, and, and yes, I've seen that before. I was just, that helped, that's really helpful. Um, and you're not seeing certain things, because the fact is, um, every child, well, I'm assuming every child, I know my child acts different at home than they do at school. Right. To some extent. Um, right. However, not to such a great extent where it's just, you know, black and white. Um, so there's going to be that, and that is going to be a lot of the school's argument, right? Usually. Right. And that would be my argument, that the kid acts different at home than he does at school, which, like I said, can be true sometimes. And so um, I always recommend with everything, not just this, to, to document, like, write it down. What specific things are in the goals? You know, make a chart. You know, this is the goal. This is what you say he can do. This is what I'm seeing at home. We need, we need to talk about it. I, can you send me a video? Um, I want to see these things. If he can do them, she can do them. Wonderful. I need to have higher expectations at home then. But I, I really want to get on the same page. And also coming at the entire situation, um, not from an accusatory standpoint, because as soon as you do that, they circle the wagons. <laughs> well, there's that, and people just naturally get defensive when right. you, have, you know, you know, you don't even have to say anything accusing. You know, the words you can just have that tone or right. however it is, and people will automatically get defensive if you come at it from a "Hey, this is what's on the progress report, but this is what I'm seeing at home." Um, can you? Can we talk about this? Because I don't know if I'm not ha having the expectations I should at home. I want to be. I want to be seeing these things at home if my kid can do them, mm -hmm. then you've got a better chance at figuring out and hopefully the kid can do it. And I, but I know there are situations where it doesn't happen and that's a, and to have it in writing and give it to the school and, you know, ask that it be even put in the educational file. Um, it should be anyway, but I always like to make that request, keep a copy, 
you know, document when you gave it to the school, all of those things um, that I guess attorneys think about that normal people don't. (laughs) And, um, or email it to the school, then you have a, a, like a record. And ask for a meeting, record the meeting, things like that. Um, I say record the meeting, um, you know, use your best judgment, but if, you know, you're comfortable with that. Cool. So real quick, big thunderstorm is blowing in here at my home. I've never been live with a thunderstorm blowing in. And in the last couple of days, our power has flashed. So I'm going to apologize to everybody now. If the power flashes, I'm going to completely lose the session. So, I mean, it's recorded, but it will disconnect. So in that, in case that happens, that's why. <laughs> Hopefully the thunder doesn't get any louder. <laughs> uh, we're good here for now, but it looks weird outside. So I'm sure we're next. Yeah, it's uh, it's turning black fast. So <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, that's really helpful. And we had a question come in that I, I wanted to address too. Does Texas have a dyslexia handbook? Yes, we do. And then there was a follow-up question. Is it, has it proven helpful in guiding conversations at the IEP table? To me, as, a, as an advocate, I say only to a certain extent, because in my opinion, there's still issues with the handbook. There are things that are not, this version of the handbook is significantly better than the last version of the handbook. But to me, there's still a lot of gray area, you know, because dyscalculia is not specifically named in the handbook districts don't want to say the word. Um, They will finally say dysgraphia, but outside of naming dysgraphia and doing an assessment for dysgraphia, they don't really seem to have, they don't seem to know how to remediate dysgraphia and work with dysgraphia. Um, But there's still, you know, there's still a lot of ability to give kids the three-wheeled you go with the broken engine when we as parents want the Cadillac. fresh off the lot that works perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, I know the uh, the handbook has those, like we were talking about the instructional methodology and it, it does, it, it lists those, like yeah. you know, your dyslexia program should have this, this, and this, and this. But right. Again, then we get into disagreements um, and those are more factual and subjective, like does this program encompass this? To what extent does it encompass, you know, this element? And so while I think it is helpful um, busting out, you know, I'm not saying you never should bust out the manual, but busting it out first thing you're getting identified and going through the elements might not be the way to go with the art committee, but, um, but it is very, I think it is very good to read that and to make notes and have the information so that you know what you're talking about because yeah. even if as a parent you aren't saying everything you know i truly think that the fact that you do know comes through in your confidence level and the way you communicate exactly. and um, it's just like knowing those acronyms you feel better mm-hmm. you speak better you sound better so right. yeah i think it is helpful yeah and for the texas-based parents um i do intend to do some texas dyslexia handbook session specifically um, I had the benefit of having a four-hour session with a woman who has spent most of her career at the TEA, but she's neither pro-education or pro-parent. She tries to ride that line directly in the middle, and she's really extraordinarily knowledgeable on the handbook itself as well as the idea. So the session that I had with her, she 
highlighted all of the typos that still exist in the handbook that were supposed to have been corrected within a couple of months and they weren't. <laughs> um, but she also had us highlight certain sections and take notes in the, in the margins and stuff like that. And I, I know I personally have found that to be extremely helpful for me when I'm referencing my handbook and ask, you know, answering people's questions, et cetera. So I wanted to try to share what she shared with us with the Texas-based parents, at least that follow the dyslexia initiative. Um, sorry. <coughs> it's that time of year. <clears throat> How do you reconcile the school only wanting to provide half the intervention time recommended by the intervention itself? So a lot of our parents uh, not all of our followers are in Texas. So I know Texas handbook states that you have to follow to fidelity. So we're talking about a lot of parents who, who states don't necessarily call that out. Are we talking about um, recommendations, like let's say speech therapy, there's the speech therapist at the art meeting recommends, you know, two sessions a week and the school says, no, nope, we're going to do one. Um, or are we talking about um, services that are actually implemented into the IEP, say two services, you know, two times per week and they're only doing the one time. So Dina didn't clarify. So I would say potentially both. She's okay. saying they're only implement, implementing half of the time recommended by the intervention or interventionists themselves. Okay. Let's go with the, the first one first. Um, so let's say that the therapist, it's, it's a speech therapist, so it'll be easier. Um, it recommends you know twice a week or however it's recommended and the school is only offering you know once a week and you know she I honestly I've never had this happen um, where you know it's being recommended that that one thing happen and then you know the school in the art meeting is saying that's great but no we, we don't care about your recommendation um, so again I I would that's surprising that that it has happened because usually, you know, they know her recommendations beforehand and they're all on the same page, or at least I assume they are. And, you know, in, in that case, um, I, first of all, in the ARD meeting, I would make sure, because at the very end of the ARD meeting, you go through the deliberations. Mm -hmm. And um, I would make sure that the um, deliberations accurately show that, um, the therapist, whoever it is, recommended, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then the school said no, and then the parent wanted X, Y, and Z. And mm -hmm. just really lay it out there to make, to set you up for later. As for those things, you know, specifically, you know, you know, the therapist said this, I want this. They should give you prior written notice denying that. And, you know, if that means that you disagree, you know, on the IEP, then you can come back to ARD and then you you know, you can bring an advocate and contact an attorney, something like that. Depends on how important it is to you, I guess. So Dina clarified and she said that the methodology methodology uh, programs. Sorry. Dina clarified. She said the methodology you. program. You can't hear me at all. Mm -mm. Mm. Hold on. <laughs> you there? Can you hear me? Can anybody hear me? <laughs> make sure it's not mine. Alicia, if you're watching, can you hear me? <laughs> okay. 
They say they can hear me. Can you hear me, Holly? Do you want to start over? Can, can you hear me at all? I can't hear anything you're saying. Um, okay. Um, okay. So to those listening, I'm going to end this and then restart. Can hear you. Huh? Yeah. So I'm going to end I this. I can't hear you, though. Restart the session. So we'll be back in like five minutes. Hold on. <laughs> five minutes. Do it.